Pantry Studio Production. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Peace and quiet. That's something that so many of us look forward to. In the quiet, peaceful woods around southwestern Vermont, many people believe that there is a mysterious and dark force that's responsible for numerous strange occurrences and disappearances. These beautiful woodlands around Glastonbury Mountain and the surrounding towns, including Bennington, Woodford, Shaftesbury, and the ghost towns of Somerset and Glastonbury, have long been the locations of unexplained and unsettling events, including a five-year string of unexplained disappearances between 1945 and 1950. Well, no one can just vanish into thin air without a trace. Or can they? Well, that's exactly what we're going to discuss on this episode of The Mountain Mysteries. These are The Mountain Mysteries, and this is episode 22, Gone. The Mountain Mystery of Bennington Triangle. I will be the last to fall. I won't shed a tear for them to see. There are over 1.9 billion square acres in the United States alone, and 24% of those are mountainous. The secrets that these regions hold are enormous. Reports of mysterious creatures, strange sightings and sounds, ghosts and murders, and those who have seemingly vanished. There are questions that need asking and answers worth finding. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Here's Chris Sloan. Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Mountain Mysteries. I'm your host, Chris Sloan, inviting you to log on to themountainmysteriespodcast.com. And we've got things on there for the kids now. Yeah, toddlers, babies, all the way on up to our age, and uh, even a little older. So you're going to find just about everything that you could want for gift-giving or even for Christmas. Yeah, I know I'm mentioning that super early, but it is there at themountainmysteriespodcast.com. Just go down and shop, and it's a great way to support the Mountain Mysteries on occasion. Pick up a t-shirt or something else that suits your needs or your wants or something that you'd like to have. And uh, that's especially great if you can't really do the Patreon event right now, or the Patreon subscriptions. Of course, the Patreon subscriptions are there. They start for as little as $3 a month. You'll get early access to all episodes. At the $5 tier and up, you'll also get access to the Mountain Mysteries Blurs, and so much more. Plus, you will get special notices from the Mountain Mysteries crew, letting you know what's coming up, what's going on, and what we're planning next. 
and you'll get VIP passes for what's coming soon, which are the Mountain Mysteries Patreon events, which will take place within the tri-state area. So as we get underway with this episode, we talk about the town of Glastonbury. It was formed around 1761 by this little weasel. He was a land-grabbing person, that's putting it mildly. His name was Benning Wentworth. He was the governor of New Hampshire at the time. Now, this guy was quite a character, granting as many towns in then-unestablished Vermont as he could, with the intention to provocatively challenge New York, which also claimed the same land. Well, of course, Wentworth's grants doubled as a lucrative endeavor, and he made sure to set aside plenty of land for himself. No surprise, right? Wentworth had no idea of the local geography, so this guy simply sat down and drew lines on a map. Now, although Glastonbury tips its hat to a legendary place in England, Vermont's titler community seemed to be ill-fated and out of luck from the very start of this. The rough and forbidding terrain and short growing season damn sure didn't do anything to lure anyone who wanted to settle there until the 1800s. Because they had a mountain of wood to burn, the town embraced the lumber and charcoal industry and began to slowly prosper as it lured settlements and businesses. Although the town of Glastonbury itself is a pretty large area, it only contained two small settlements near the western border. The logging town of Fayville in the north, and then later on, the settlement of South Glastonbury. Well, Fayville is more known by people looking at a map. South Glastonbury is normally what's profiled in just about every article we've read. You see, two of these villages were never connected. Those two. But the mountainous terrain was so steep that roads, well, they were never built. South Glastonbury became the heart of the town and the headquarters of the majority of the charcoal operations with 12 brick kilns erected along the cleared hillsides. A massive loggers boarding house and company store, as a matter of fact, it was the only store in town, were built to serve the village. A few homes, a meeting house, and a crude one-room schoolhouse were also built for the few kids who did grow up there. Because South Glastonbury set at the confluent of two different branches of Balls Brook, where the headwaters met and began their descent down the mountains. The small village became known as the Forks. Living in the Forks was tough, and it was a wild place, sort of a last frontier in Vermont. It was the kind of place where men outnumbered the women, and the law, too many times, never existed to begin with. With the profitable timber industry came demands, of course. People needed to get up into town, and lumber and charcoal needed to get down. Well, the steepest railroad ever built in the United States was constructed as the solution, which started out as a sarcastic suggestion, and it turned into a defiant reality. Starting in Bennington and ending at the Forks, the Bennington-Glastonbury Railroad was created in 1872, the tracks climbing an astonishing 250 feet per mile at nine miles long. But depending upon limited resources, that eventually created the end of the charcoal and logging industry, and the mountains were logged until nothing larger than a sapling remained on the slopes. Well, we can all guess what's going to happen now. The railroad was still around, but they wanted money. The question was, 
what to do with it. In 1894, the railroad rebuilt itself as the Bennington-Woodford Electric Railroad, and the town reinvented itself as a tourist destination, using the railroad as a way to bring tourists up into the South Glastonbury area. The railroad switched over to using more reliable trolley cars instead of traditional rail cars, because they were stronger and more reliable, especially given the elevation that they would have to climb. A lot of time and money were invested into retransforming the town, turning the brawny old loggers boarding house into a hotel and the former company store into a casino. There were no details overlooked and both buildings became showpieces. They wanted Glastonbury to stand out from other summer resorts. And after painstaking labor and expenses, the town opened up as a vacation destination in the summer of 1897 and had a very successful first season. It wasn't going to last, though. The barren mountains, stripped of all their trees, were very prone to flooding and soil erosion. It was only a year later a devastating flash flood washed out the tracks, putting an end to the town for good. Its high elevation and isolation ensured that no one tried to rebuild it, and the buildings fell into ruin under the silence of those mountains. The population of Glastonbury dwindled down to almost nothing which later got the attention of Ripley's Believe It or Not in the 1930s when the folks there learned that all three members of the Madison family were the entire town and held every office in that town. There was no one else there. Because of this, the state of Vermont disorganized the town in 1937, the first time the state ever did such an act, and the area was reclaimed by the wilderness. Shortly after that, in 1945, people began disappearing from around Glastonbury with such frequency that the area was dubbed the Bennington Triangle by Joseph A. Citro, a writer from Vermont. Native Americans called Glastonbury Mountain and Vermont's Green Mountains cursed and used it strictly for burying their dead. And it turns out that they had good reason to fear the mountain. Over the years, there's been between 30 to 40 unexplained disappearances of people, people who have never been found. The trail is stopped partway up the mountain, suggesting that no one ever goes up any further. When you walk into the forest that blankets this particular hillside, that silence is deafening. There are no birds singing. No squirrels chattering or crows cawing. In fact, you hear nothing but your own heartbeat. As if the animals themselves know enough to never go there. Before the famous five-year disappearances in 1943, Carl Herrick was enjoying a hunting trip with his cousin Henry. They were about ten miles northeast of Glastonbury Town. Then the two became separated, and Carl never returned. Henry found Carl's body three days later in a bizarre scene. Seems that Carl's ribs had punctured his lungs and the post-mortem indicated that something had squeezed him to death. Henry reported that there were large bear prints around the corpse. However, experts say that a bear would not have squeezed a man to death. More likely, it would have clawed him to death or gnawed at him. The first to go missing was a 74-year-old hunting guide named Minnie Rivers. That happened on the 12th of November, 1945. 
Rivers knew this area well. He was leading a party of four hunters in the area of Hell Hollow, in the southwest woods of Glassenberry. He was leading the group back to their camp and got a hold of them and never returned to camp. Now at first, the other hunters were not concerned because this guy was a skilled woodsman. However, when Rivers didn't resurface, an extensive search was conducted by 300 concerned people and United States Army soldiers dispatched from Massachusetts to Fort Devens. Though they combed through the vast wilderness for eight days, the only thing that was found was a rifle cartridge of the same type that Rivers used. Well, there was no evidence of an animal attack and his body was never found. Even after this exhaustive search, many locals believed that the knowledgeable woodsman would be able to survive and would soon resurface at some point in town, but he never did. Rivers disappeared long after the Long Trail Road area and Vermont Route 9. It was about a year later that 18-year-old college student Paula Weldon went hiking on the Long Trail on Sunday, December 1st, 1846. She was wearing a bright red jacket. Several people had seen her go, including a store employee in Bennington who had given her directions and an elderly couple who were hiking about 100 yards behind her for a time. There was no concern until the college sophomore failed to show up for her classes at Bennington College the next day. Afterwards, an extensive search was conducted. That included more than 1,000 people searching, aircraft surveillance, the posting of a $5,000 reward, even help from the FBI. The elderly couple who had seen her on the trail said that after she had turned a corner on the trail, she just seemingly disappeared. During the massive search, no clues to her fate were ever discovered. Now, it was exactly three years after Paula Weldon had disappeared that James Tetford went missing on December 1st, 1949. A veteran resident of the Bennington Soldiers' home, Tetford had been in St. Albans, visiting relatives, and was returning home on a bus when he vanished. According to witnesses, Weldon was one of 14 passengers who were on the bus at the last stop before arriving in Bennington. However, when the bus arrived in Bennington, he had seemingly vanished. His belongings were still in the luggage rack and an open bus timetable was on his vacant seat. No one had seen him get off the bus and he didn't disembark in Bennington. Though the disappearance was investigated, no one had seen anything, nor did they report any suspicious incidents. On October 12, 1950, an eight-year-old boy named Paul Jepson went missing in this area also. Jepson was playing in the cab of a pickup truck in Bennington when his mother left him briefly to tend to her pigs. Now, when she returned, the boy was gone. Just gone. After looking for the boy in the immediate area, he was reported missing and hundreds of people assembled in a search party. Bloodhounds were also brought in to search for the child, which picked up his scent and followed it towards Glassenberry Mountain, but it was lost at a nearby crossroads, suggesting a possible abduction by a motorist. The crossroads were allegedly at the exact spot where Paula Weldon was last seen some years before. The boy's father had said that Paul had been talking about visiting the mountains for several days, and that was odd for him. Now, the area was searched for days, but no clues or remains of any kind have ever been found from this child. Just 16 days later, 
Frida Langer went missing on October 28, 1950. She and several other family members were camping in the woods near Glassenberry Mountain. The 53-year-old woman, along with her cousin Herbert Elsner, left their family campsite near the Somerset Reservoir to go on a hike. However, when they were just a few hundred yards from their campsite, Langer slipped and fell into a stream, soaking her clothes and shoes. She then asked her cousin to wait as she ran back to the camp to change her clothes. Well, after Elsner waited for a while and Frida didn't show back up, he also went back to the camp to see if everything was all right with her. It wasn't. Frida had never returned to the camp. Instead, she had seemingly disappeared in broad daylight in that short of a distance. In the next few weeks, several search parties, which included some 400 people comprised of police, volunteers, firefighters, and soldiers, as well as aircraft, searched for her and found absolutely nothing. Well, the search was finally called off. Then, seven months later, on May 12, 1951, her body was found near Somerset Reservoir. Oddly enough, this area had been intensely searched given its close proximity to where Langer went missing. No cause of death was ever determined due to an advanced state of decomposition. To this day, that case remains unsolved. Langer was the last person of the famous disappearances to vanish and the only one whose body was ever found. It's true that no direct connections have been found that tie these cases together. But, other than geographic area and time periods, some people claim these disappearances were the work of a serial killer. Because of the wide ranges of age and the genders of the missing people, it's thought that the possibility of them being victims of a serial killer is unlikely. Most serial killers operate with some kind of MO and they have a specific, if you'll pardon the pun, taste in their victims. Now, the only known similarities between the most well-documented cases in the Bennington Triangle are the close proximity of the disappearances. That's it. The times of day when most were last seen appear to be around 3 to 4 p.m. And the time of year when most were last seen fell sometime in the last three months of the year. Now, this combined with a lack of any evidence to offer support for any more mundane explanations has led some to speculate on possible paranormal causes, including abduction by UFO occupants, cross-dimensional wormholes, or an attack by what's known as the Bennington Monster. Local residents have reported strange, unearthly sounds and strange glowing disks on and above the mountain. Now, if you'll remember, we talked about a writer earlier, Joseph A. Citro. He wrote a book called Passing Strange Tales of New England hauntings, and horrors. According to him, Glassenberry Mountain is an inaccessible region that's remote. It's off to itself. Full of dark places, jutting outcrops, vast marshlands, and quiet pools. Although the case of James Tedford, also known as Tedford, was not a disappearance in the woods as far as we know, it is still mysterious. Tedford was a veteran of the Second World War. In 1949, he was returning to the soldiers' home in Bennington after a visit with some family in St. Albans. Tedford was traveling by public bus and was just one of 14 passengers that were on board that bus when it left St. Albans. Well, when the vehicle finally arrived in Bennington, he was no longer on board. But his luggage was all in the rack along with all of his personal items, including an unfolded timetable for the bus that remained in his seat. 
It would appear as though Tedford had gotten up out of place and disembarked without anyone else on the bus at all noticing. Local authorities were not able to do much apart from question those people that were on board the bus, but every possible witness reiterated the same story. Tedford was on the bus when it departed the previously scheduled stop, but not when it pulled into Bennington. So where did this guy go? Some adventurous souls who've heard the rumors have set out to explore the trail infamous for the five-year period of disappearances. One such adventurer is Chad Abramovich of the website Obscure Vermont. He reported on a trip taken to the mountain, saying, quote, Myself and a few friends departed in his pickup truck and drove up the bumpy forest road into a strange clearing in the middle of the hills. Here, underneath summer humidity, we found old cellar holes almost entirely hidden by tall grass beneath the shade of gnarled apple trees. Shortly after this, Abramovich and his group experienced a sudden drastic change in the weather. It was a sunny July afternoon when they started, but a torrential thunderstorm quickly appeared. The group was stranded for some time, but finally managed to make it back to the flats. When they escaped the downpour, they found that the surrounding area was bone dry. Locals later confirmed that no thunderstorm had passed through their region. Robert Singley is a music composition teacher at Bennington College. He's also an experienced hiker, and he became lost in the mountains back in 2008. Now, this guy took a trail that he knew exceptionally well to a nearby mountain called Bald Mountain, and then he used the same trail to go back. But the trail that he knew so well and had been on so many times didn't lead to where it should have. Now, according to Singley, he walked about five miles before realizing that he should have reached his car already. Well, as you can imagine, he was becoming quite concerned. And it was about that time that a heavy fog rolled in, and the whole trail became dark. I mean, hopelessly dark. So he went to this maple tree that he said he felt called him to get out of the fog and away from it. He tried to start a fire, but every stick he reached for turned out to be an animal bone. Now, this would have stressed most people out, there's no doubt about it, but Singley was only upset about his fiance. He knew she had to be worried sick. He finally managed to light a fire and huddled by it through the night. When the sun rose in the morning, finally paid a visit, he found that he had somehow ended up on the opposite side of the ridge from his car. Luckily, he made it back to tell the tale. Some blame the paranormal, stating the place is a window into the unexplained. Some say that the area is unstable due to wind patterns that are unusually chaotic and confusing, so people get lost easily. Some have suggested that the land is cursed because it is the site where all four winds of the globe meet in one location, north, south, east, west. They all converge on that spot. One local Native American legend told of a man eating stone. If someone happened to step on the stone, it would open up and swallow the person whole. Now, this legend is a large reason that it's said that the Native group stayed away from the land to begin with. Some commenters on blog posts covering the triangle say that there are sinkholes strewn about the mountains, which may explain that legend. 
For two centuries, reports suggested that the woods are home to the Bennington Monster, something similar to a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot. One story indicates that the driver of a stagecoach and its passengers reported a sighting of the hairy beast in the early 1800s. A sudden downpour had caused them to pull the coach over as the road had washed out. Well, while they waited for the rain to stop, the driver noticed enormous footprints in the mud. He went to ask one of the passengers what he thought when the other passengers on board saw a large hairy creature that had no footwear. The beast pushed the coach over onto its side and ran into the woods. Now, one of the most recent sightings took place in September of 2003. Ray Dufresne of Winooski, Vermont, was driving by Glassenberry Mountain when he said that he saw a large black thing by the road. It was well over six feet tall and was hairy from the top of its head to the bottom of its feet. There were several other sightings reported around this same time. These reports are out of the book Weird New England. Another odd character entered Bennington folklore in 1892. Apparently, a man was working at the sawmill in Glassenbury when he hit another man over the head with a rock and killed him. The authorities caught the killer and put him in an insane asylum. However, he managed to escape. Rumors spread that the killer had gone to live in the mountains and became a hairy, deranged wild man. Some stories say that he would, at times, travel down from the wilderness and expose himself to the women in Bennington and Glassenbury towns. In May of 2018, Ramsey Sampson Ani, 31, was killed after his plane went down in the woods on Bald Mountain in Woodford. The Federal Aviation Administration said it lost contact with the plane as it was flying over the area, and this was at about 3.30 p.m. on a Sunday. There are those who believe that the Bennington Triangle has the same power as the Bermuda Triangle, to cause problems with planes. In the book Haunted Hikes of Vermont, author Tim Simard mentions a one-time incident of hearing a ghostly train whistle while hiking along the West Ridge Trail. That was 10 miles from both any functional railroad track and the old rail bed that ran up into South Glassenbury. There are also a series of inexplicable cairns scattered around the mountain and no one is quite sure why they even exist. Now, there's theories to why they're there. The farmers built them a long time ago while clearing out their pastures, or several passing hikers on the long trail built them to act as beacons in bad weather. But none of this adds up. The Cairns were built in high elevations where farming never took place, and most of them are located miles away from the long trail in heavily forested areas. The weather, cougars, a wild man, or some hairy monster are the main theories behind the Bennington Triangle. Some fringe theorists incite that aliens played a part in the disappearances and talk about UFO sightings or portals to another world. One guide even encourages hitchhiking from the trail into towns for supplies. It seems... Like the infamous five years of disappearances have been all but forgotten by the very people who have the most to fear on Glastonbury Mountain. With people unaware of the terrain's dangers and happily hopping into strangers' cars, well, those disappearances, they may not be over just yet.
Remember to log on to www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com. We'd love to see you sporting one of those shirts, ball caps, or eh, any number of things that you can find on there. They make great gifts. And if you can't support us on Patreon, you'll help to keep these and other stories coming from The Mountain Mysteries. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook.com slash The Mountain Mysteries and join us live Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for The Mountain Mysteries Gatherings. For The Mountain Mysteries, I'm Chris Long. Stay mysterious. If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more. Studio Production.